Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Abundance Tree Podcast. I'm Janice Luke, and I'm here with my co-host. April Capri. Let me borrow that shirt, girl. (laughs) Let me borrow that. That is so freaking cute. (laughs) Thank you, girl. Thank you. Appreciate it. You always look nice, too, though. Oh, girl, you are too I can't compete. I can't compete. (laughs) There's no competition. There's no competition. I hear you, girl. Yeah, <laughs> we're both it. beautiful. We're both beautiful. <laughs> well, <Here he is. laughs> so I hope you're doing well tonight. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for tonight's guest, though. This is going to be a bomb. bomb oh yeah, guest. yeah. We're going to blow some minds tonight with this. Yeah, one. yes, we are. So we tell us about who we have. Yeah, we got a powerhouse man. Um, he has decades of diverse business experience spanning from business to business, business to consumer, retail, manufacturing, distribution, international business, and franchising. So he's a seasoned entrepreneur. Um, He's known for developing and launching successful business concepts, and he thrives in rapid growth environments. His positive attitude, humor, and humility shine through as he leads with passion and fosters a culture of dreaming big, working hard, and having fun. He is an articulate communicator and a sought-after public speaker. And as such, he's a mentor to business students and student interns at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Uh, He combines his educational background with a wealth of practical experience to drive the growth of his business called Wall Printer USA. We have Paul Barron. All right, the Wall Printer USA. The Wall Printer USA and the Paul Barron. So excited to have him. All right. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, good evening, Janice. April, nice to see you. Nice, nice to, to see, see you, too. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just reading off the laundry list of things that you're good at. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very short list, I'm sure. Oh, no, it was not. It was not. I had to take several breaths to to get through it. (laughs) Right. No, but you're amazing. You're amazing. Would you like to tell us, you know, like how you got, like, where did you even start with all of this? Because you do a lot. Well, thank thank you so much for that that introduction. Um, uh, I'm 72 years old. I'll start with that because so your audience knows that um, there's a little bit of history here. Um, and, uh, my journey of course started, you know, very young, but we're not going to go through all 72 years. I don't think anybody has the time nor interest to hear it all. Um, but as far as what might be relevant to the entrepreneurial journey that I've taken over the years out of college, I started a business. Um, I went through college getting some money for my, uh, that, um, supplement the good graces that my parents provided to put me through school. Um, but to get some spending money, I was stringing tennis rackets for the university's um, athletic department. And I was a tennis player and still am um, 70, well, I guess 60 years later or so, still playing tennis um, and swimming. Those are my two sports. Um, but from the tennis team, I, I was uh, captain of my tennis team. I strung tennis rackets. I enjoyed doing it. Apparently, I was very good at it. And so when I graduated college, I actually I graduated and became a teacher, a high school math teacher. Um, but a friend of mine was out of work and, uh, he, and he was somebody who I played tennis with and he didn't know what he wanted to do, um, at that point in his life. And I said, well, you know, I made some money stringing tennis rackets in this town where we, we were in a small town, upstate New York, where I went to school. 
And I, I said, why don't we open up a sporting goods store, um, tennis shop, and I'll string the tennis rackets, you manage the store. I could do that in the evenings after my teaching. And so we did that. We opened up a store. It, it started to get quite a following and uh, grew. And to the point that I was spending more time and attention with that than I was in my teaching responsibilities as the first uh, job that I had. And I was kind of given an ultimatum in my third year of teaching uh, because they knew I had the outside business interest. And they said, Paul, you know, you're, you're doing well. We'd really like you here. He says, but we know you have your outside business interest. You've got to make a decision. What path do you want to take with your life? Do you want to be a teacher? We'd love to have you stay on. But you'd have to make a decision, really. Do you want to go the, your business route or do you want to stick with teaching? Because we see that that's pulling you away from your responsibilities here. And I said, well, I appreciate that very much. And I, I said, I, I think I'm going to go the business route. And so uh, so I, I quit teaching early after three years, um, went into my business. We grew that to three stores. Um, I ended up exiting that by selling my partner, my interest in the stores, because I got hired by another company uh, that put me in a role uh, of kind of sales and marketing. Um, that was my first kind of venture into the, the sales area. It was a manufacturing facility of jewelry. And they wanted me to um, go on the road for two weeks and engage customers to buy their products. And then another two weeks back in the factory, overseeing those orders and the distribution part of things, customer management, customer service. Learned a lot over the years. Um, I, I went, uh, I, I did that for about two or three years when at one point, and my mother, as an aside, was the bookkeeper for that company, which is how I was introduced to the owner. And I got a $1,000 Christmas bonus, which I was totally thrilled with. This was back in the 70s. Um, I was just 23 years old at that point um, in my life, and I was making very good salary. Um, but he gave me a $1,000 bonus, which I was thrilled at. And I told my mother, I said, you know, they, they gave me this Christmas bonus. That was really nice. Well, she said, well, Paul, that was very generous of them. But, you know, because of the sales that you did for the company, they each wrote themselves a check for about $40,000 each. And I said, wow, okay. and, and I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about business or anything about sales or anything about owning a business or other than my little tennis shops. But, uh, but anyway, I went in the next day after that weekend and I said, you know, I really appreciated the bonus and everything, I think, but I think, you know, maybe I'm due for a raise. And so he said to me something, which I'm going to share with you and your audience it stuck with me to this day. Um, and I also share this with anybody who has worked for me over the years during the many businesses I've had since then. And uh, when it comes to the point that they think that they're not being valued properly. And he said to me, he said, Paul, you've done a great job. We really appreciate everything you're doing. You're doing, you're doing wonderfully. But, but let me tell you, when you work for somebody, you will never earn what you think you're worth. I'll always pay you more than anybody else will if you do a good job, but you will never earn what you think you're worth if you don't if you're not the person who's taking the risks and owning that business, they yeah. deserve the rewards. And so I took it to heart and I said, you know, that's, you know, I never thought of it that way. You know, thank you very much. Um, and I quit. Um, and, and so wow. I, 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 quit, I quit the job because, because one of his competitors, who was actually a customer of mine at the time, offered me a job to do the same thing for him but it would be twice the money at half the time. I didn't have to do any of the, I, all I had to do was travel to the customers. I didn't have to do any of the factory work, which I really didn't like. Um, I liked the customer part. I liked engaging with customers. I liked the selling. I liked, I liked that aspect of the business. And so I went to work for this other person. I made, I did very well for myself for a couple of years doing that. 
um, and uh, had a lot of time on my hands to play tennis and do other things uh, because I was only working two weeks out of every month at the time. And a good friend of mine, another friend who also I knew through tennis, as many of my relationships have been over the years, um, he was in, in the college bar business. And he had a college bar and he had a partner that was less than a desirable person. Um, we don't have to get into the where's and the why's about that. But I said to him, I said, listen, you got to get away from this guy. He's not doing you any good. I said, well, do you really want to be doing this? It was, it was a college bar. And, and, and I said, you know, why don't you get out of that? And I said, what do you really want to do with your life? And he said, well, I really want to open up a really nice restaurant. And I said, and I knew him well enough to think that he really knew what he was talking about. Um, me, of course, I had just finished four years of traveling on the road, whining and dining customers. I'd be in the five cities in five days, a couple of weeks a month, uh, going out for dinner. And anybody who goes out to dinner thinks they can be in the restaurant business. It's like a very glorious thing, <laughs> bars and restaurants. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, <laughs> um, but but I found it a fascinating business. And I said to him, and I had a lot of confidence in him. I said, well, if you think this is what you want to do, I said, I've got some money saved up. And I said, you get your partner to buy you out of your business so you can have some money and we'll see if we can't, you know, do something together. So we went on, he, he did that. His partner bought him out of his interest. We each took a little bit of money and put it aside. And we spent one year, probably one of the best years of my life. Uh, Janice, April, I, I, here's what the routine was. Um, I'm still in my 20s. This was in 1978. So I'm 27 years old at the time. And uh, we played tennis every morning. We went to a restaurant for lunch. We played tennis every afternoon. And we went for a different restaurant for dinner every night. Ah. And we did that every day for a year. That would and be the best uh, in my life, too. I know, right? That <laughs> <to> is <this> <laughs> Besides, besides oh, yeah. getting. Besides improving my tennis game and gaining a lot of weight, uh, <laughs> the, purpose, the purpose of that was, number one, to see if we can get along with each other. Uh, another thing that I've learned over the years, there are some businesses that are better done with partnerships. There are some that you have to really be careful of who you're partnering with or who's investing with you. Um, and, and it's no different than picking the right customers. Picking the right partners is the same, is, is just as challenging sometimes. And so we spent a year figuring out, okay, we're friends. We like playing tennis with each other, but can we be in business with each other? And so at the end of the year, um, after going to all these different restaurants we, where we kicked around ideas about menus, about the kind of customers we wanted to attract, where we wanted to have the restaurant, what it was going to look like, and all this kind of stuff, and uh, taking all these ideas from all the different restaurants we went to, um, that was really the reason for doing all that, not just because we were gluttons, uh, although we were. Um, and so uh, so at the end of the year, we found out, yeah, you know, let's do this. And so we, we, we bought a building in a small town um, in, in near Newburgh, New York. It was actually Montgomery, New York. I'm very proud to say that that restaurant we established in 1979, now um, 44 years later, is still in business. Wow. Um, I, I was in it. I'm very proud of that fact. But after 12 years, I got out of it in about 1990. We established it in 1979. It grew from a small restaurant uh, to a larger restaurant and, and it started to 75 seats. We 100 seats and 150 seats. And we bought a building next to the property and we made a little bed and breakfast. And, and it was it, it turned out to be just a really nice experience. And we, we of course, stayed very good friends. And uh, and but but I. Uh, he was the restaurant guy. I was just along for like, I was 
not really the money guy, but I'm the guy who kind of managed the uh, the finances of the place. I, I helped with uh, making sure that we were ordering at the right prices and that kind of stuff. And basically, my job um, my job on in the evenings was a, a host to bring people in and and kind of schmooze them if that word is something you and your audience knows just to kind of <laughs> keep, keep people comfortable because it turned out that it was a very very popular restaurant um hopefully still is um and my job was to make sure that people who thought they had an eight o'clock reservation and now it gets to be nine o'clock or something and they're not seated yet and they're getting very angry uh my job was to make sure they didn't leave because um because we, we, and we had a piano bar and a piano player a billy joel type of singer um it was a really nice experience and as i said it was in a small town we were the only show around there wasn't anything for anybody else to do when they came this was their night out and so uh my job was to keep them in because i knew that my partner and his wife who ran the waitresses and everything uh, once they got back to their seat they'd have a wonderful experience the food would be good the service would be good and then they you know even though they hated me for making them wait for their table um their experience was good. And so uh, it, we, we had a nice a nice mix for the, between the two of us. And so that, that restaurant thrived. Um, I sold out in 1990 because my parents had moved from, they retired and moved from New York to Florida. And I wanted to play more tennis, which I wasn't doing because the restaurant was pretty busy, took a lot of my time, as that business will do if anybody wants to get involved with it. It's, it, it is a full-time job um, by, by all stretch of the imagination. And uh, so, but I, I decided to move to Florida to follow my parents down there and, uh, and get back to just playing a little bit more tennis and figuring out what I wanted to do when I grow up. Um, and so uh, just a cautionary tale to your um, audience, um, be nice to the people you see on the way up because they're the same people you're going to see on the way down. And the journey is, the journey is, the journey is always going to be, um, have its peaks and valleys. That's and, a good one. And, it, and you never know what's going to happen. And so I opened up a restaurant and this, this is the lesson in bad partnerships. When I moved down to Florida, there were people down there who knew of my restaurant in New York. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I moved down there. And I decided to open up another restaurant. My partner wasn't interested in getting involved in Florida. Um, he was smarter than me. Um, and so uh, I, I opened up a restaurant to kind of copy my restaurant in New York, but it was a totally different market and I didn't do the research. Uh, properly, something else you should do before getting into any kind of business, or even if you're just looking for a job, do your homework. And uh, so I didn't, but I opened up a restaurant. And then to make an otherwise longer story shorter than it should be, um, I what I made in 12 years in New York, I lost in one year in Florida, and went into bankruptcy. It was a it was a it was a uh, um, a rude awakening uh, for myself. Everything else up to that point was kind of uphill, and then all of a sudden. It crashed financially. Um, but now my journey really started because now I had to really once again figure out what I want to do. Um, and I did it from a not from a vantage point of any kind of financial security at that time. And uh, so I went back to my roots from college, which I graduated with a degree in math. Uh, I might not have mentioned that I was a math teacher um, in that first job. So I went back to my roots, which had a little bit of computer background in it. And, uh, and I found uh, there was a friend of mine was in a business and they had a, a problem that they needed solved and uh, and software was a way to do it um, at the time. And this was in, in 1990s, late 1980s, when software and computers and the internet was really just coming around. And so um, I solved this guy's problem by putting together some programs and we developed a little software product that, again, I don't want to get into the details of it. It's not important. The, the point being that I started this company. Um, it 
became very successful and it was acquired by another company and I did very well with that. Um, so now Paul was back, um, but still I had to figure out um, now I sold that company and now I developed some kind of a reputation somehow of being some type of a communications consultant and a Russian company at the time, all current politics aside, the Russians, like every other people I believe in the world, are wonderful people. Uh, forget about the governments. Um, mm -hmm. But a Russian company had a very, very good um, portfolio of software products, audio, video, um, navigation system software, all kinds of stuff that was really cool and just coming up on the world stage. And they needed somebody to help them find their customers in the United States. Um, I had, At the time, I was working for a company who hired me in Atlanta um, that was a bunch of Georgia tech engineers that just started um, developing a product that they needed to come to market. And they hired me to be their salesperson. And this Russian company and my company, my American company in Atlanta, we all we had one product that was the exact same. And we always were at different trade industry events. And we were like, I guess like Burger King and McDonald's. We'd, we'd all be at the same show talking to the same customers. But at the end of the day, I guess the term is frenemies. Um, <laughs> we, we, we became well acquainted with each other. We'd go out yeah. for a drink. And let me tell you, the stereotype of Russian, they can drink their vodka. Um, and we'd go, out, <laughs> we'd go out for a couple of cocktails. And one time I had just landed this big deal with Motorola um, where I sold some of the products of the company I was representing. And they said to me, said, Paul, gotta ask you, you know, and we know all products are better than yours. How did you land that account with Motorola? And we could not because we both had the same product they were looking for and ours is better than yours. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. I said, but the difference is you're Russian and I'm not. There was no disrespect meant in that statement. It was just the fact that people, people like doing business when there's some kind of cultural um, connection. Um, they, they just, mm -hmm. they feel more comfortable um, because it, look, sales, sales is really about relationships really any, any businesses. It's no different than life. It's all yeah. about the relationships. I said that thing about nice to the people on the way up, the same people on the way down. You want to, you, you don't want to burn bridges ever. Um, and uh, because you never know when things are going to run back either to haunt you or help you. Yeah, and so, that's so, true. Um, yeah. so I, so I said, so I said, uh, you know, you, you know, you just don't connect with these people. You know, your, your, your technology is wonderful. You're wonderful people, but the way you communicate it's just it's just not what American companies are often um, amenable towards. If that's the right word, and uh, and so they said, okay, Paul, we want to hire you. So um, so they made me the proverbial godfather offer that I couldn't refuse, and uh, and they hired me. Um, that was in 1990. It began a wonderful relationship that lasted 12 years. Um, where I represented their products, uh, they had audio products. Every every music clip you hear in an Apple phone and a, on an uh, iPad, iPod, um, every, every music clip uses a technology called MP3. That was technology that was developed by the Russians that I licensed to Apple. Um, every uh, If you watch CSI or any of these crime shows and they're tracking you down uh, because of uh, the navigation uh, capabilities or the GPS you use for navigating in your phones, um, every Samsung phone, Russian technology sits on the chips of that and I licensed that to Samsung. Um, and it, it goes on with a lot of other things, but needless to say, and the only point of saying that is I did very, the, their technology was good. I did good. I made a lot of money for them and myself. 
and 12 years went by. And at that point, now China was coming up on the world stage and that was more in Moscow's backyard. Uh, they real and I did all I could do for them in the United States. So basically my job was complete and I, it was time for me to move on. So, um, so I did, I entered the relationship. We still exchanged Christmas cards and birthday cards and we're, we're, we're wonderful friends still, but the relationship ended. And uh, now once again, Paul had to say, what am I going to do now when I grow up? And so now mm -hmm. I'm in my 40s, 50s, I'm, I'm, we decided to move to Wilmington, North Carolina, where I am now, because from Atlanta, I missed, Atlanta was nice when I had to travel a lot, because it was one hop to anywhere. But I missed the beach, which is where I grew up in New York and, and, and in Florida. So uh, my wife and I, my wife's family is here in Wilmington, and we moved here, um, loved it, but had to figure out what I was going to do. Well, another company, an Austrian company, contacted me and they said, we've got this product, an innovative baby bottle, and we need it marketed to the United States to find shops um, that sell baby products. And we want, we want you to see if you can market it and find us customers and uh, partners and things like that. So I said, oh, interesting. And I saw it and it was a very innovative design. Even though you think baby bottles are just baby bottles, there, there are ways to make always a better mousetrap. And so, um, so this was very innovative design. It was it was very good for the fathers and mothers to uh, let mothers get back to work because the baby bottle mimicked the woman's breast, so that uh, the father could go ahead and feed the baby, um, and it would still think it was the mother. And uh, it was a really cool design. And so I, I I found it very attractive and interesting. So I helped that company until the point that they were acquired by a U.S. company. Um, and then I went on to uh, I was approached by. Uh, we have dogs. Um, we we are dog people, I guess. My wife and I weren't blessed with being able to have two-legged children, so we went the puppy route. And we have uh, we have dogs. And uh, as most people are, at least in this country, you spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy on your pets. Uh, we were no different and are no different. Um, we have pictures of them all around. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but uh, needless to say. Um, I'm always looking for things for our dogs. Well, I found this self-service dog wash online that I had never seen anything like it before. And that's the first thing that I look for. What, what am I looking at that I can say, wow, that's pretty cool. I've never seen anything like that. For me to look at that as a business venture or some kind of an entrepreneurial exercise, um, it has to have that reaction for me. Um, I have to get that spark um, that, that says, boy, that's pretty cool. I've never seen anything like it. Why not? So I saw this thing, which was a, a self-service dog wash. Put your credit card in, $10 for 10 minutes. You wash the dog. You give it shampoo. You give it um, um, conditioner, a little flea and tick repellent. It has a dryer. You rinse the dog off. You rinse the dog off. And in 10, for $10 in 10 minutes, you've got a wonderfully clean dog, and you didn't destroy your house doing it, um, and it wasn't wasn't a $50 or $75 um, grooming job. It was just a, a really good bath. So I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. I, I started finding out who who made this thing because this was just videos I saw. I never actually saw the device. Found out that it was made by an Australian company. So I reached out to them and I said, are you in the United States? They said, no, nah, the machines weigh 800 pounds. Um, it, it takes too much to transport them to the United States. We never decided to go into that market. I said, well, I'd like to do that. And so, um, wow. so I so I I started bringing them into the United States, and I started selling to pet stores and community dog parks, gas stations, anywhere people would go with their dogs. Um, so a gas station or a, a, a dog park, 
um, and any place where, where people might travel with their dogs. And it, it, it took off, but I said, just like they did, this is a very heavy device, bringing it across from Australia to the United States was a big chore and a big expense. I said, if this company is gonna grow to the extent I wanted to grow it, we'd have to find an American manufacturer. Well, mm -hmm. I did too good a job. I found an American <laughs> manufacturer that loved the product so much, they bought the company and basically put me out of a job and I, and I couldn't fulfill my dream with it wow. because, and, and that then taught me another lesson. Um, you know, you better own something. Uh, if, you, if you want control, you better own it. And, cool. uh, and so I, I retired after that. And uh, although there were a couple of other little things, there was a Chinese headband headphone uh, that I marketed here in the United States um, and a couple of other little products, but I really didn't do much of anything until, I, until one day I saw this uh, product. I was introduced to it by a German company um, that had this thing called a vertical printing machine. And they approached me and they said, Paul, we know you take products and, and uh, launch them in the United States. We've got this vertical printing machine. We want somebody to bring it to market in the US. And I said, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it was a machine that, it was a big printing machine, like an inkjet printer on steroids. Um, I could show your audience a picture of this in a moment if you'd like. Um, but Absolutely. what it was, and, and maybe this would be a good time to frame this because this is kind of the last chapter in the story, which brings us to the present. Um, if you'd like me to show that, I can, just to yes. put some context. Absolutely. Now, yeah. this, is, this, this is not the German product. This is my own product now. Um, but um, I will share I love share how you my... make everything yours. Right. <laughs> Where you're at, you make it yours. I like that. Even oh, if it's not like, you know, technically ownership wise, it's like you, you put your own spin on it and you, you make it, you know, yours in essence. Yeah. Let me see if I could find this. First of all, um, where did I put it on my screen? Here? Let me see. Uh, here we well, go. Okay. Had quite the journey too, with all your products and everything. That's awesome. Ooh. Wow. Okay. And so, a lot of words of wisdom. I love it. Are we, can you see my screen yet? Not yet. Uh, not yet. Okay, maybe I didn't share it here. Let me see. Um, share. Okay. There we are. There we go. All right. So what you're looking at now, that this is this is actually the back of the San Diego baseball stadium. One of our customers printed a big mural there. Uh, this is in a bar. Um, that machine you see, that's a floor printing machine, which prints artwork onto floors. That's what the machine looks like. And these are all accelerated speed videos. But the printer does print at about 20 square feet per hour, um, which is pretty oh. fast. And uh, and it's just an inkjet printer that prints any graphic, any digital image onto any wall, any size, indoors, outdoors, concrete, wood, glass, metal. That's that baseball stadium again. Uh, but that's the machine. Um, it, uh, it's wow. got a printing device that goes up and down on this rail. And if you wanted to, you can go ahead and put the um, printer on. Here's a picture of, if you can see this picture. Yeah. Can you see that? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's one, of our, one of our customers did this in the gymnasium. Um, and the pic the printer can be put up on a scaffold. If you think of a wind a window washer on a skyscraper, um, you could go 50, 100 feet tall if you wanted to. You just have to keep bringing the printer up and it stitches image, one image on top of the other. So you can go as high as you want. You can go as wide as you want. And wow. you can print it. Yeah. Oh, so wow. so they, they approached me. They approached me with this and I said, wow, that's the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And, <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, okay, I said, I'd like to buy the company. 
And so they said, no, we're not interested in selling the company. We want somebody to sell the machines for us in the United States. And I said, well, I don't, I don't do commission sales anymore. I said, if I like something, I'm going to own it. And so they said, well, that's really not for us. And we parted ways. But at that point, I said, and usually I, I call to my wife in the, another part of the house. And I say, hey, Maureen, come take a look at this. And then when she hears me say that, rather than <laughs> come take a look at this, she usually cuts up my credit cards and changes the passwords on a bank account. <laughs> she goes, here we go. Paul's going to invest in something nuts again. And so, <laughs> um, but this time she took a look and she was all in. And she said, well, if you think you can do something with that, go for it. And so I started doing my homework and I found out that there were only five companies in the world that made this machine or this wow. uh, had this technology. And I went to the oldest company first, and it turned out that there was an Australian company that whose product wasn't very good um, and it was just coming to market. There was an Indian company that had a product that was a home hobby solution. It wasn't, it wasn't commercial quality for day in and day out use, which was my vision for the product, um, to be able to sell this to people, to use this for their business day in and day out, to create artwork for people on their walls. And, uh, and then there was that German company that had a quality product, um, and, and I, I drive a BMW, so I like I like German engineering, but just because something says made in Germany doesn't mean it should cost twice what it might really be worth. And it turned out that this product was being sold at twice the price of what another product that I found, which was the originator of the technology, which was a Chinese company. And uh, they started this 14 years ago, um, about eight years before that German product copied them, which again, I just learned in my doing my homework. And so I reached out to that company and I said, look, your product is really interesting to me. Have you ever thought about bringing it to the United States? And they go, no, no, we're in Southeast Asia. We're doing all of our business here. And we've got a little bit in Australia, a little bit in Europe and Russia and Middle East. And we're fine here. We're not going across the pond, so to speak. And I said, well, I'd like to do that. And I said, how about if I buy the company's rights to all of the Western Hemisphere, since you're not there? And so we spent a few months kind of courting each other just as partners do i didn't spend a year like i did playing tennis and eating out every <laughs> night um, but but we we found out that we were on the same wavelength of what the plans were and i was willing to invest enough for to get their attention and so uh so four years ago i i bought all rights to canada the united states central and south america and mexico and the caribbean and i decided to bring these products to market here and i'll fast forward you four years later um for a product, and now I will stop one second. I wasn't the smartest kid on the block. Um, I'll, I'll say that because I started this company in December of 2019. I got my first shipment of machines, several hundred thousand dollars worth of these machines that nobody had ever seen or heard about before. And I did that in January of 2020 when the world stopped because of the pandemic. So here I, yeah. here I was. Here I was with a big investment in something that nobody's ever seen or heard about. Um, it wasn't like buying a coffee shop or a plumbing business or a restaurant. Uh, it wasn't something you could see and touch and feel or travel to because nobody was doing any of that stuff for mm -hmm. at that time now because the world stopped. Um, but while everybody was laying people off, um, I decided, you know what they say, you know, when you got lemons, try to make lemonade. Well, um, so here I was and I said, you know what? Um, I'm going to start hiring people to figure out what this is and who wants this. And my first hire was a social media manager who said, well, if we can't travel and people can't travel to see us, let's use social media, Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and let people see what this machine can do. And let's see if somebody's interested in it. 
And at the same time, I hired people to learn how to use the machines, myself included, so we could end up teaching people how to use them. And, uh, and I built up my sales force when people started actually answering some of these ads we put out to learn more about it. And fast forward about, it took us about eight to 10 months before we sold our first machine in about August, September of 2020. And now three years after that, um, we've sold 150 machines. And what that means to me, and hopefully to my customers, uh, and we, we won just this year, we won the Entrepreneur of the Year Award here in um, uh, South Congratulations. 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 That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. I'm not, and I'm not saying that really to pat myself on the back on that, because it's a credit to my team as well as what we've accomplished. But the reason we got that award is they have one rule of the hundreds of applicants that come go to every year to try to get this award. Um, they picked an entrepreneur of the year because they've got a business that people recognize as something that they would invest in over other businesses. And the criteria that they used to select the wall printer um, was that every machine we sell puts somebody in business. It creates a new business for somebody. And that's really what we were all about. And so when I said fast forward three years, we have 150 machines sold throughout Canada, about 80% in the United States, about 15% are in Canada and 5% in South America right now, although both those markets are growing too. And uh, we, uh, we put 150 new businesses on the map and for people that they can hopefully realize their dreams, delivering beautiful artwork on walls and floors um, for themselves and their families and their customers. And that that's what keeps me going every day. And wow. uh, it's, you know, I've got about 20 people working for me. They're, they're, they, they too, I'm sure, have the question that I asked um, 50 years ago that uh, they're not being paid enough. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, everybody that works for me does get a piece of the action. Um, I, oh, I actually make, make everybody an owner in the company so they, they can wow. take pride in that because of that lesson I learned 50 years ago that you won't work for anybody like you'll work for yourself. And so uh, we've got a good team and uh, I'm enjoying awesome. life. You are just wow. amazing, y'all. I got, I got, I'm sorry, I got to clap I it know. up. Me too. I, me I too. got to clap that's, it up for you. That's amazing. And so the artwork on your yeah. wall the, behind These are wall prints, by the way. These are wall prints in my, yeah. in my home wall where I am tonight. Um, that's my dog with Santa Claus on a piece of paper because you don't have to print directly to wall with our machines. You can print on paper or glass or wood and you can then deliver that to somebody just like a signage company might do. Um, it prints fine text so you could print menu of a restaurant on a glass door or window or something like that. But it'll print also, as you saw in those videos, it'll print a 50 foot mural on a gymnasium uh, wall as well. This one here is printed on canvas. This is a bunch of my friends that I took with a picture and then took a picture of a frame around it that looks 3d but that's really a two-dimensional picture and uh, it's on canvas and so it's uh it's it's just a really cool machine and it uh, really is it, it really is a cool machine i've been like well I've, I've been so excited because i've been watching you and following you on your uh, instagram and tiktok and watching how it works it's amazing and i think it's a great opportunity for those that want to get into business and this is a could be a great place to start and uh yeah, I think like we all need to get else. connected with Paul. Yeah, I think <laughs> everything else, it's not for everybody. It's not for that's everybody. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's yeah, that's something you always have to think about. Um, you know, what what what's your own path? You know, there's 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 something to be said for the security of working for people and for working in a job that you're good at and that gives you satisfaction. You know, my journey kind of I always had confidence in myself that I could succeed even when I didn't sometimes. 
um, and other people had faith in me. Again, the whole thing about relationships at those times when, when I was down, whether it be financially or emotionally, I had a good support group around me of good Amazing. friends and family. Um, you know, not everybody has that, but mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you have to look to, into yourself. Um, but if you mm -hmm. have the confidence and you have the desire to do something, you know, you should go for it. But, uh, but that doesn't mean that you should be disappointed if it doesn't work out. Just take everything as a learning experience. That, that failure in the restaurant that I did was was not what I call a failure. I call it a learning experience um, or, or a lesser success. Um, right. But, but uh, you can't look at anything like a failure because it's, you know, I'm very fatalistic. You are today because of where you were yesterday. And awesome. there's, a, there's a reason why you're, you, you are where you are. And just, uh, you know, put yourself in the right place. Expose yourself to the right people that make you feel good and that make you accomplish what you think you can. And it'll be a nice journey for you, too. Absolutely. I hope y'all are listening. Those are some gems that Paul just dropped the whole the entire interview. Yes. Woo. That's awesome. Where can people find you? We got like a minute or two left. Oh, well, um, yeah, I do tend to go on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, no, you're uh, good. This was all. I I'm always more. This happy is to connect. Um, I'm always happy to connect with people. And as much as I'm talking because you invited me here, I like hearing of other people's journeys. And if they want to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, um, that's a good way. It's a very good professional network to find people, whether you're looking for a job or looking for somebody who, who might be able to point you in a direction. Um, that's a good way to connect with people. Happy to do that. Um, I represent, um, I do volunteer work for the local University of North Carolina here in Wilmington. We have a, a thing called the Center of Innovation and Entrepreneurship, which is kind of an adjunct to the university where people like myself that have some experience in things like some people um, are lawyers, some people are um, financial advisors, some people are web designers. Um, my hats are the sales and marketing hats are the ones I wear. And people come, whether they be students, faculty, or people in the community, and they're thinking of starting a business. They come to us and they say, this is my idea. What do you think? Can you help us? And we put a group of us together and we try to you know, point people in a direction that That's may lead so to them. Good. That's and you amazing. can follow him on TikTok and Instagram at the wall printer as well. I'm sorry, we have to cut it short. We're about to end. And so thank you so much for coming on, Paul. This was such an amazing call. Thank you so much. Thank you I so much. I enjoyed talking with you, Janice, April. I appreciate you as well. Thank, thank you. you. The have link a good will night. be in the description box if you guys want to check out Paul. Absolutely. Y'all have a great night. Have Thanks a great for listening. Night. Thank you, Paul. Good night. Good night.